0: local church membership please turn to acts chapter 20 and verse 15 there's in some ways being in a baptist church it might be like preaching to the choir preaching the importance of a church membership but there's a lot of different reasons why people may not be members of a church at a particular time Uh, I know for myself, I was saved for five years before I was a member of a church. Uh, Yeah, five years. Um, I was saved in prison, and I wasn't even baptized for five years, and then I became a member after five years. So there's one way in which people are not members of a church, and that is um, they don't have opportunity from the time they're saved to actually become a member, be baptized, and so forth. And then another reason is perhaps people were saved they were baptized they were a member of a church and then they moved and when they moved, they thought, oh well we'll be able to find a church that we agree with and and so forth and then they can't find a church. They look and look and they can't find a church and and so there's no church for them to be that they feel that they can be uh, become a member of locally and be a part of and and uh, so forth. There's a lot of different reasons why people might be not be members of churches. But there is um, more and more lately. It seems like I've been uh, coming into contact with people or have been having discussions with folks about whether church membership is even necessary. Is church membership just a man thing? And and uh, and so forth, and is is it actually scriptural, and what does it look like from the word of God, and so that's what I want to look at this evening is local church membership, the importance of it. Acts chapter 20 and verse 15, and we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios, and the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried in Tregilium, and the next day we came to Miletus. For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend time in Asia, for he hasted if it were possible, for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. So we see here that there was one church he sent for, uh, just because there was multiple elders doesn't mean that it was multiple churches necessarily in the area of Ephesus. I believe it was one church with multiple elders. In verse 18, and when they were come to him, he said unto them, you know that from the first day I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by laying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you, and have taught you publicly, and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying the bonds and afflict- that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus, to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore yourselves, and this is the main part that we'll look at. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock." Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember, that by the space of three years I cease not to warn everyone, night and day with tears. And now behold, brethren, I commend you to God, and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up, and to give you an inheritance among all them that that are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver, or gold, or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know." that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I have showed you all things how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they wept sore and fell upon Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him into the ship. Uh, by way of introduction, I want to touch on a few things, and the introduction will be fairly lengthy and the and the main points of the message will be fairly short um, but there are, there are several passages you might be wondering why did you read that passage if you 're going to talk about the importance of local church membership there 's many passages in which, from which I could preach on local church membership first uh, corinthians twelve uh, I could go to uh, passages in Ephesians, especially in and Colossians, and so forth. There's Hebrews speaks of it there in the end, and um, many passages that we we could preach from, but I want to draw out some specific things from this passage. Before I begin to understand church membership, we need to first briefly consider the definition of the church in the Word of God. The doctrine of the church is avoided by many churches. I believe it's, it's not even touched on or preached right. as far as what is the church. And so people just have these assumptions about what the church is based on common language that is among people. They've never really thought about it. If you ask people, what is the church? You know, if we were having a one-on-one conversation, what answer would you give me if I asked you, so what do you believe the church is? and not a church. We all know what a church is. I'm talking about the church, right? What What is, what's your definition of the church? Um, I think I've mentioned before, I knew a, a, um, a chaplain in Colorado. He was about three years out of seminary. He graduated from Denver Theological Seminary, and I asked him one time, I said, um, we talked about many things, and he was pretty sound on most things, and I asked him one day, I said, so what do you believe about the church? And he looked at me and he goes, what do you mean what I, what do I, I mean, he literally was, what do you mean what I believe about the church? I said, "Well, you know, what do you believe about the doctrine of the church? He was like, there's a doctrine of the church? And it's like, well, he, he graduated from seminary and he had never been taught or thought about what the church is. There's just this assumption that, well, the church is all save people. The church is the body of Christ, all save people, and so that's where most people start when they think about what the church is. Every systematic theology book and most, if not all, statements of faith address the doctrine of the church. Um, it's been my experience that the first pe- answer that people give concerning the church is what I already mentioned. It's all save people. But it's not because that is the overwhelming emphasis in the word of God, but because it's the most talked about view of the church. When people talk about Christianity, instead of saying, for example, we can talk about maybe Christianity as a whole is taking a downward slide. And we can say, instead of saying it's really sad what's going on in Christianity today, people say, it's really sad what's going on in the church today. Right, they talk in generic terms, but they use the word church for that. Because this is the first thought that comes to mind with most people concerning the church, there ends up being little conviction and discipline concerning the importance of being a member of a local church. After all, we're all in the church. So if I'm so if I believe that all saved people are is the definition of the church, then. What real importance is there to be a member of a local church other than that it is a blessing to be a part of a local church? And I'm not saying that there aren't people that believe that all saved people are in the body of Christ and they still are very strong when it comes to local church. I don't want to give that misconception. But unfortunately, a lot of people, I would say the majority of Christianity has this view that the church is all safe people, and so therefore they really don't have much conviction concerning being a member of a local church. I want to begin by looking here briefly at the word church in the word of God. Most of us are familiar with this, but the, the word church, ecclesia, the word church is used 111 times in the New Testament. The very concept of the church or church um. The very concept of the church or a church was established by Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry. Right. There's, no, there's no such thing as a church or the church in the Old Testament. So the, earth, the world is about 6,000 years old. For the first 4,000 years of human history and God working with men and saving men, there was no such thing as a church until Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ instituted the church during his earthly ministry and the church has been in existence since then and so um the saints in the old testament are considered to be many things saints <laughs> the elect um they are part of the family of god um and so forth there's various terms that re- that apply to god's people of all time but the church began with christ the greek word ecclesia where we get our word from church from is this it's a by definition it's a calling out that is concretely a popular meeting, especially a religious congregation. So you see it's an assembling. Um, in parentheses, there is a Jewish synagogue or Christian community of members on earth or saints in heaven. There is one passage in Hebrews relating to heaven. I think this is probably where this comes from uh, concerning the word church when it says the general assembly and church of the firstborn. But that's not here. That's there. Okay. And so in this, the word assembly, there is more of like a, a very large, like you would think of a football, uh, a huge congregation, a huge assembly, not a local assembly like we think of a church. And then there's the word the church of the firstborn. But that is, that is not the, um, that's the exception, not the rule in the New Testament. And so please note that the meeting place is not the church we've talked about it before I preached a message recently on the metaphor of the building concerning the church in the word of God and and uh, where we're meeting tonight is not the church Um, a lot of times we use terms concerning the church we say I'm going to be going to church tonight Um, but the church is the people Right. Right. So tonight, those of us that are the church, Calvary Independent Baptist Church consists of those who are members of this local body. And so um, that is uh, our local church. Of the 111 times that the word church is mentioned, all but just a few times, a small handful of times, is the word, the word is speaking of Local churches or churches. There's just a small number of times where I believe it's speaking of local church, but it's not clearly speaking of a local church if you just look at it alone. Um, The church, I want to consider these things before we get into considering local church membership. The church and the churches of God, I believe that is synonymous, um, they are his. The churches of God are his. As we read in our passage, the church in Ephesus has been bought by the blood of Christ. Did you notice that when I was reading that passage? Paul was telling these elders, it almost is to give it more emphasis. Uh, You need to really protect and care for this flock. And you need to feed the flock. It says, the church, he says, feed the flock, the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. That's of extreme importance. What it means is that the members of a local church are saved individuals for whom Christ died. Now, Christ died for every single person who has ever been saved, from Adam all the way until the last person will be saved at the end of time. But it is a point of emphasis that those who are members of a local church The word of God says also in Ephesians that Jesus died and gave his blood for the church. He loved the church and gave himself for it. In the secondly, what I want to notice in these passages that I'm going to read, you don't have to turn there. Not only is the church the church of God or the churches of God, but you will also notice that the multiplied churches make up the church in the word of God. So I'm going to begin reading, there's so many out of 111 passages, um, or times that the word church is mentioned, I'm going to just read these few, but what they do is they emphasize who the church belongs to. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 2 says, in, in addressing the church in Corinth, it says, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints. If Paul would have been writing to Calvary Independent Baptist Church of Pulse Falls, Idaho, he could have said, unto the church of God, which is in Pulse Falls. This church does not belong to Pastor Oldfield. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you. It's the church of God, yes. which just so happens to be in Pulse Falls. 1 Corinthians eleven sixteen says this, But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches. So now we're talking about plural, the churches of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.14 For you, brethren, became followers. Now they had suffered persecution. And he says, you became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. 2 Thessalonians, the next epistle, 2 Thessalonians 1.4, Paul writes so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God. So what he's saying is, when we come to a church, we tell those churches about the testimony that you are for your suffering. So going on, he says, um, so we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. And then First Timothy 3, five says this, Concerning a man being a pastor. For if a man know not to, how to rule his how, own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? And so in this instance, it's speaking of the local church over which that man is the pastor. And then 1 Corinthians fifteen nine, I want you to notice the terminology that Paul uses when he speaks of persecuting the people of God. He says, "I am the least of the apostles, for I am not meet to call." Because, he's saying, "I'm not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God." Now, when he says, "I persecuted the church of God," does that mean that he only persecuted the church in Jerusalem? Do we think that he only persecuted the church in Jerusalem because it says the church of God? It has to be one church. Um, in Galatians, he says the same thing. Galatians one thirteen. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. So is he talking about, I just killed all saved people, I killed and persecuted people that weren't in church, I persecuted people who were in church. Well, we understand that in the early church when people were saved, they were saved the same day. You can't find one example where they weren't baptized the same day. Right. So they're saved, they're baptized, and become members of a church. That's that's how it was in the early church. Now, notice this. He says, I persecuted the church of God. He uses that same church, that same term twice concerning what he used to do to the people of God. But note in Acts 9.31, and I've had some, some, some will say, well, Paul only, they will say, Paul only persecuted the church in Jerusalem. And that's why it says the church. But I want you to notice this. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. The beginning of Acts chapter 9. You can go ahead and turn there if you like. I'll give you a moment. But in Acts chapter 9, the first part of that passage is about the conversion of Saul. Who became the apostle Paul. Now, the persecution was so severe after the stoning of Stephen that uh, um, the church began to spread because of persecution. And as it spread, churches were started in all these different places. And, uh, um, and notice what it says here now. After Saul, who had gone to Syria, okay, this is how absurd it is to think that he only persecuted the church in Jerusalem. He was on his way to Syria. He had heard that there were saints, the people of God in Syria. And so he got permission to go into another country, basically another region, to chase down the people of God and bring them all the way back to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 9 says this, after Saul was saved, then had the churches, plural, rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord and comforted of the Holy Ghost, and they were multiplied. So because Saul was saved, then had all the churches, plural, rest. But when Paul gives testimony himself, he says, I persecuted the church of God. It's very simple to conclude that in the word of God, when the term the church is used, it can be encompassing of all the local churches. And so it's very important to keep that in mind because there are several passages and and instances in which the term the church is used. Matthew 16, verse 18, you all know this by heart, but Matthew 16:18 says this, one more verse concerning whose church it is. And I, Jesus said, "And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it." What this church is, it's real easy to understand if we consider what happened in the early church. What began is one church in Jerusalem. Remember, he had told the apostles to wait for the power of the Holy Ghost. Wait till you receive power. And they waited in the upper room. And it gives us spe- I'll touch on this in a minute, but it gave a specific number. And It says in the number of them was 120. Okay, that was the church. When did the church start? Well, it started before the day of Pentecost. Right. And I'm not going to get all into that, but... The church was already in existence, and when uh, Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, he was talking about that church. And he said, The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He promised the perpetuity of the church. And when he gave the Great Commission, he said, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Um, What began as one church in Jerusalem became many churches. So the church, when he said, I will build my church, it's encompassing of all the churches that would be established. Right. Now those churches have all died, and the churches continued, and the churches spread. And if you study church history, church after church after church has been spread, and behind them it's almost in its wake, 100, 200, 400, 500 years maybe later, those churches will die, but the gospel continues to spread, and it has spread through the whole world. And we're blessed to be able to be in the Lord's church today. He did build his church, and he will continue to build his church until he comes again. And so the church in that sense is all of the churches together. Each church that was started in the New Testament was a church of God, of whom Christ is the head. Ephesians 1.22 says, And he hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over, this speaking of Christ, gave him to be head over all things to the church. Now, consider this. Who is over this church? Is there another human being who has anything to say about this church and how we do things? There's not one. Who do we look to when we get together and we want to consider what the Lord's will is for us and what we should do support a missionary, to um, do whatever it is we should do. We should get together and pray, shouldn't we? We should get, a, get together. We should consider what the Lord's will would be for us. But we're not looking to, we don't look to the Pope. right? We're not looking to some archbishop. We don't go and consider when we consider, oh, I wonder what we should do about that or believe about that. Well, what does the Vatican Council have to say of such and such? Right? We don't do that. We believe in independent churches. Right. Churches are independent of each other. There's not even another Baptist church that can tell this church what to right. do. There are other Baptist churches that might have a problem with what this church does, but they can lump it because right. we answer to God. Yes. The Lord Jesus Christ is the head of this church. And He should be the head of... Every church. There's a lot of the fear of man out there among pastors and leaders of churches. And they're so concerned about what this church over here might think and what this preacher over here might think. But at the end of the day, you're going to answer to God. This church is going to answer to God. Jesus Christ is the head of this church. Now, that's a lot different than a lot of Christianity. The Lutherans, their local churches, Christ isn't the head of their local church. They have a synod. There's a hierarchy. The same goes for the Methodists. The same goes for the Church of England and so forth. But we answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. We seek the leadership of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is as relevant today in the Lord's churches as he was in the the church in Jerusalem. The church today is without any power without the Holy Ghost. Without any power. We'd just be a bunch of human beings running around with our secular minds, our carnal minds, trying to figure out how to do things if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit directing us through the through the Word of God. When we say the church grew in the early church, we say it grew because when the gospel spread, people were saved, they were baptized, and churches were established. Elders then being appointed to lead those assemblies. It is not... when we. The church growing is not as elementary as this, that people were saved and therefore the church grew. The church grew because churches were established. It's not as simple as just, oh, the Lord was saving a lot of people, so the church was really growing. No, the church grew because the church grew, (laughs) okay? And the church is made up of saved people, of course. One of the most misused verses to support an invisible. Turn to Acts chapter two, verse forty-seven. One of the most misused verses to support an invisible body of Christ is Acts chapter two and verse forty-seven. It says, "And the Lord added daily to." So, the Lord just got done saving three thousand people on the day of Pentecost. The church went from one hundred and twenty to 3120 in one day. Okay? But the Lord didn't stop there. Daily yeah. he continued to save people. And guess what? Daily he has continued to save people down through history. But when we think about this, um it says and the Lord added daily or added to the church daily such as should be saved. That was the church of Jerusalem which consisted of 120 meeting in an upper room prior to Pentecost. And the church the church in Jerusalem grew by the thousands. Shortly, if you do the math and you look at the passages in the book of Acts, the church in Jerusalem would have become greater than 10,000 people. 3,000 were saved here. It says he added daily to the church, but on one of those days later, the Lord added 5,000. It's astonishing to think of how big the church in Jerusalem must have become. They needed all 12 apostles to help run that church. I mean, it was amazing what God was doing and all the deacons and everything else. One of the interesting things, now, I say this is misused because people will take this verse and try to say, and the Lord added daily to the church such as should be saved. You see, the church is those who are, is just those who are saved. And, and oh, and the body of Christ was growing day by day. I know that we don't rely on other translations. Okay. But here's an interesting thing. I was looking at what other translations have to say about this passage, and this is not proof of anything, it's just an interesting thing, okay? Oh um, in the ESV, NASB, and so forth, I looked at several of them. It's very interesting what they say in this verse. It says, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Mm -hmm. Added to their number. Well, think about what it says earlier in that chapter. And it says the number of them was 120. Mm -hmm. And then those translations say, and the, the Lord added to their number. Right? There's not really any room. What I'm saying is I don't care what circle you come from. There's not really any room for this concept that the Lord was adding to this invisible body out here somewhere. Just, it was just talking about saved people. Well, the Lord was adding daily to that local church, such as should be saved. And so, as we consider now, let's go back to Acts chapter 20. I told you the introduction would be very long. But it really helps us to understand that, I'll just put it as simple as this. If you're not in a local church, you're not in the church. Amen. Right? Amen. It, it, it's that simple. And the reason it's that simple is because the church, it has nothing to do with being saved. I would hate for anybody to ever misunderstand me. Being in a church does not make you saved. Right. Okay? But saved people make up churches. Okay? I already said I was saved for five years before I was in a church. Um, but what I'm trying to say is that the church is the 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 whole of the number of the lord's churches at any given time that's what the church is so if you're not in a local church you're not in the church i believe it's that simple all right let's look at our passage the instruction was to feed the flock the church verse 27 of acts chapter 27 or acts chapter 20 he says for i have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of god Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which God hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. First, I want us to notice the Holy Ghost had made them overseers, not of all of Christianity. It says the church of God He's made you overseers of the church of God, but he did not make them overseers. Of the whole of Christianity. Now I know that there are some preachers out there today on TV. That think it's, their, think it's their job to minister to the church of God. And they literally will phrase it that way. Their ministry is to not to their local church. And to be responsible for their local church. But it's not enough for them to be the pastor of... I'm just going to be a little mean right now. But it's not enough for these power hungry men. To be the pastor of their local church. But they must have a great ministry far beyond the reaches of their local church, and minister to the church of God that's out there to as many people as might hear them. And that's how they view their ministry. That's an incorrect, that's an unscriptural way to look at things. The Holy Ghost had made these men of God overseers of their flock. The flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God. Look at verse 17. Go back up to verse 17. It says, And from my Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Yes, there were plural elders of the church. Elders are teachers, preachers, evangelists, men of the church, um, whom they have seen gifted by the Holy Ghost in various different ways of leadership and counsel. They could be deacons and so forth. Consider the church in Antioch. What it says about the church in Antioch, it says, and there was at the church that was in Antioch certain preachers and teachers, and then it lists a whole bunch of men. And on top of that, they then had Barnabas and Paul. I mean, there's a lot of men. A strong church is a church that has strong leadership and people within the church who want to serve and be active. A church that, let's say, has 150 people, has a pastor with no elders, and no leadership, and the pastor does everything as a weak church. I don't care how big in number they are. They're a weak church. But a strong church is this church that is strong from within. It is... A lot of times when we talk about churches being self-supporting, we think more. we're more concerned with the fact that they're self-supporting concerning finances. But Brother Pearson made a good point to me. He's like, what about this? What about... A church being considered to be self-supporting because they have people in the church who can actually stand up and take a service and teach and preach and serve the Lord. That is a self-supporting church. You know what? If the pastor goes down, next man up, right? That's a strong church. A weak church is a church that the pastor goes down and they panic and they got to go outsource and try to find someone to come in. And it could take 10 years to find someone to come in from outside. That's not a strong church, okay? And so, I'm getting way off here, but the examples of this in the Holy Ghost, making them overseers, um, is in the choosing of the deacons in Jerusalem and how those elders in that church, a lot of times we think, well, they were deacons, so they were just servants. No, if you know anything about the deacons in the church in Jerusalem, you know that they had gifts way beyond financial management and helping widows okay there were seven men who they sought out to be deacons acts six twenty two verse 2 it says then the 12 called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said it is not reason that we should leave the word of god and serve tables Wherefore, brethren look out among you seven men of honest report notices full of the holy ghost and wisdom whom we, we may appoint over this business Two of those men who were selected were Stephen. What was Stephen doing when he was executed? Was he down uh, helping widows in the community? He was preaching. And if you read that message, that man could preach. He had a gift and he was full of the Holy Ghost. It's an amazing message. Oh, what about uh, another deacon that was there, Philip, who is called Philip the Evangelist? Right? Right. It's like, oh, well, deacons are just people that, you know, serve in the church. Hmm. Okay. It may be that the evangelist in the church is also willing to be a deacon. (laughs) Right? We all should be willing to do whatever. There is no higher or lower or whatever. And so, anyway, this church in Ephesus, it had deacons. One of the things is that it wasn't just, it had a pastor. It had a head pastor. But the elders were overseers of the flock. It wasn't just the one man who was overseeing the flock. There were overseers, plural, of the flock, the church of God. The elders, as members themselves of the flock, are a blessing and a help to the fellow members by feeding, by guarding, being watchful by being examples i won't get into it too much but it is very important that a church has more than just one man who meets the qualifications that are given in when paul wrote to timothy concerning deacons and pastors and so forth somebody who the church can look at and be like you know so and so lives for God and so-and-so lives for God and so-and-so meets the qualifications and maybe I can too it's not just the pastor who graduated from seminary and this and this and and all this oh people can tend to look at things that way it's good to have multiple examples writing to the same church of Ephesus um Paul said this uh, note these words that Ephesians 4 7 but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ When we think about that, I'll go on in a second, but he says unto every one of us, who's the us? Is he talking about, well, I'm an apostle, and every one of us preachers is given gifts of the Holy Ghost? No, he's writing to the church. And he says unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And then he drops down just a little bit later. He says, and he gave some apostles... Some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. So it's uh, um, these, these men were told by Paul to feed the flock, the church of God, the local church over which they were made overseers. And then he tells them to protect. They are to protect and watch over against wolves. In verse 29, For I know this that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Watch therefore, and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. It's not safe outside the fold for a child of God. Out there in the world, God did not mean, this is some of my concluding thoughts, but God did not mean for us to, as the people of God to go through this life solo, as a solo sheep. We're, in the, the Word of God speaks of His children, His people as His sheep. We're not to be, we're sheep. And we're not to be wandering out there in the world the spiritual world as sheep alone sheep out there because there's a lot of wolves we're to stick together we're to work together we're to be in the fold we need the protection the church needs the protection and the instruction of the elders and the pastor and so forth we need each other and so oh it's important The sheep outside the fold who are not part of a local flock have no protection, no leadership. And sadly, the reason that many intentionally remain outside the flock. See, there's a lot of people who don't want to be a member of a church. They attend church. A lot of these mega churches, they have people who attend church, but they don't want to be a member of a church. They like going to large churches because nobody will judge me there. I can live how I want. I can do what I want to do. It's between me and Jesus. They like to go and hear a fluffy message that will help them with their, with their daily life. A word of encouragement that they could get from a shrink somewhere. But they, they just want that with, a, with a, a Jesus spin to it, so to speak. But the thing is, is, they don't really have a desire to be part of anything and serve God in a local church. They want to do it their way. And sadly, the reason that many intentionally remain outside the flock is because they want to do things their way. Well, what is it when people want to do things more their way in a spiritual sense? Doesn't it really indicate that probably they're a goat, yeah, man. right? Maybe they're not actually a sheep, they're a goat, and that's why they don't want to really actually be part of the flock. It's something to consider. There's a real danger... Also, I want to consider this. There's a real danger to a church when it allows non-members to participate in the services, run activities, and enjoy all the benefits of membership without membership. They're not of the flock, don't want to be an actual member, yet want to act like one. Without membership, how is... This is really concerning those who don't think membership is important, but without membership, how is the church to keep out the spiritual wolves who would draw men away and teach false doctrine without membership required to enter the fold and be a part of the church of god how is there protection how were these elders to keep the wolves out there was two things that they were warned again warned against he says warned against wolves who would be coming in but he says there's also some that will come up from within so it's twofold and there are people in churches that want to rise up and and he says and to, to these wolves want to draw men away after themselves isn't that the reason for so many church splits right is that someone in the church um, for whatever reason um begins preaching and teaching and taking on more and, and he ends up with his own little following and next thing you know there's another church across town And then that other church across town has found a new, better way to serve God. And then they end up becoming their own little denomination. Right? I just get a kick out of it. I know you've heard me say it, but I just got to say it. Because it's interesting how many non-denominational denominations there are today. It's ridiculous. I mean... It's unbelievable. There was somewhere around 1,800 to 2,000 Christian denominations in 1,900. And there's 30,000 worldwide now. I don't even know how it's possible to have that many different splinters of Christianity. But that's what happens when you believe that, well, the church is all saved people. And the emphasis of local church is not that important. And people end up just going off and doing their own thing however they want to do it. There's a reason that things are such a mess. Is there's wolves that have risen up in churches and there's wolves that have come in from the outside. And when people don't really know what a church is anyway, then it's easy just to follow and just run astray all over the place. There's so much confusion out there. If churches are to just be unstructured societies of non-members, this is a ridiculous concept to think of, but there's people... I have heard of just recently, very recently, of people who don't want to become members of a particular church because they don't believe in membership. They attend all the time, but they just don't believe in membership. This is a real thing. (laughs) Well, if churches are just to be unstructured societies of non-members, then what gets anyone the right to lead? how can you even function it's like a church of jello yeah. there's no, it's not possible you can't even in the secular world you cannot have any kind of society or anything without some kind of membership participation leadership etc it's ridiculous without membership how is there accountability to one another if we want to believe that the church is all saved people, and that's all that really matters, then how do you reconcile something like Matthew chapter 18? Turn over to Matthew chapter 18. We, we as a church are to hold one another accountable, and we're accountable to the other. And it's for the spiritual benefit of one another. In Matthew 18, in verse 15, the Lord didn't say much about the church in His earthly ministry. He obviously taught the apostles many things concerning it and they penned it down and, and wrote in their epistles. But Jesus did say this, Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. This is always the goal. Church discipline is not about condemning and making ourselves better than another, and, or or someone has done something wrong and we're punishing them. But it's about gaining a brother. It's about strengthening one another. And Jesus addresses this, and Paul uh, adds to this and writes about it in, when he wrote to the Corinthians. But he says, If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. This is definitely talking about the local church. Tell it to the church. And if he neglect to hear the church, he's a brother. And if he neglect to hear the church, as tough as it might be, He says, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. He ends up, if you look at this, and then you look at what Paul writes about, he no longer is a member. He can repent and be welcomed back in, but he's not part of the flock anymore. This is one way the flock is protected from the stain of open sin or false teaching that arises from within. The wolves that are within the flock. It is to be both a benefit to the one who has committed a fault and also to the church. But when those people refuse to stop teaching their false teaching, or they refuse to stop committing their sin and they're defensive about it, then it's time for them to go. The wolf has got to get out of the flock, okay? And so um, these are the words of Christ, not some church council. Or the ideas of men who have come up with better ways to run a church. You see, it's not, church membership is not just about a man made organization. It's about a Christ made organization, yes. and Christ is the one that gave these instructions. And so it's his church. To put it as plainly as possible, long term association with a church without being a member. Is like a man and a woman living together, enjoying all the benefits of marriage right. without commitment. Right. Like the church, God instituted marriage, laid out what a family is. And just because men want to make it what they want, doesn't make it so. That's right. Just because you live with someone for five years, doesn't mean that you're married in the eyes of God. Right. And just because you have a, some definition of what the church is, and you've come up with some way how you want to serve the Lord... It doesn't mean that you're doing it properly unless you're in the Lord's church. And so it should always be a desire of us to be in the Lord's church. Now, we're not always going to be. There's things that happen. And you don't want to just go out and join some church because i got to join a church. You need to make sure it's the right church. But you understand what I'm saying is that it is important that we find a church in which we can be a member. There's many positive benefits to being a member i can't get into all of those i've man i've already gone over my time but i want to focus on this one aspect of a positive um, point as i already mentioned god did not intend for us to go through this life alone as the people of god it is through the local church that we are to serve one another evangelize start more churches etc please turn to first corinthians chapter 12 In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul deals with the body, the metaphor of the body in speaking of the church. It's a metaphor. It says, speaks of the body. It's a metaphor. It's no more literal than how Paul uses the metaphor of a building for a church or husbandry as speaking of the church. As I mentioned, I preached a message uh, a few weeks ago concerning the metaphor of the building and how it applies to the church. He says that we are a building, fitly framed together, and so forth. Well, are we a body or are we a building? You understand that these metaphors are just meant to help us understand right. our relationship with each other and how Christ works through us and, and, and so forth. And, and how he, in this passage, it's about how he has given gifts. It's a metaphor, It's not literal. I think it would really help a lot who struggle with the concept of the body of Christ. Well, if you're saying I'm not in the body of Christ, then what are you trying to say that I'm not saved? It's like, no, the the metaphor of the body in this passage is concerning a local church, and it's a metaphor. And so he says uh, in this passage in verse 18, But now God has set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And he's been going through explaining, comparing the human body and how every part of the body uh, plays a role and how that relates to us in a church context. In verse 19, and if they were all one member, where were the body? But now they are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say unto the hand, "I have no need of thee." Nor again the hand to the feet, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness, for our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the part which lacked. There should be no schism in the body. isn't? I'll just stop right there. It is an amazing thing. I've had several conversations. And if you've been in a church very long, isn't it amazing the people that God puts in a church? How different they all are. How it is that so many times in a church, you'd be like, if it wasn't for the fact that God had saved him and put him in the church... I don't, if we worked at the same company, I don't know if I would ever have anything to do with him. But God put him in, and I love him, and man, we've had some great conversations. I like hanging out with him, but we're so different. God does that. He puts all these different people in the same body, and we're to be one. And He says here there, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the body should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. As we read this, think about those who are not in a church, what they're missing out on. And whether one member suffer, all members suffer with it. Or if one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the, now ye are the body of Christ. Speaking of this particular church, he says, ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, that after miracles, and after that miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? The, it's rhetorical questions, The answers, of course not. But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet I show unto you a more excellent way. And I want to stop at the first verse of the next chapter because we get a look at what that more excellent way is. Though I speak with the tongue of angels and of men and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. It is not as important who, what your position is in the church And whether God has gifted you with teaching or He's gifted you with preaching or whatever it is that God might have you great soul winning, whatever it is, that is not near as important than that you have love one for another. Charity is more important than all those things put together. May the Lord give us a greater love for our church. I love this part in in uh, going back up in verse 27 of that chapter where he says that there should be no schism, no divide in the body, but that all the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer, and one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. May the Lord give us a greater love for our church, for other churches, and for the lost and dying world around us that we might glorify God. There's many, many other things that I, would, I could say uh, about church membership. Uh, the one thing I will say, uh, I just want to touch on just briefly. Like I said, I'm already way out of time. But we need to be careful that we don't get... You can get... There's two ditches here concerning church membership. There's the one ditch that I've been dealing with tonight where it's people think that church membership is not that important and I don't know if I really need to be a member of a local church. I just serve God the best I can and attend church when I can. And then there's this complete other opposite ditch, though, where church membership becomes so important. It's an all-encompassing thing almost. And they forget that a church is actually an assembly. The church... Is the people? Yes. And I don't care if you're a member. If you're not assembling, you you can't. You can hardly call it a member. If you don't ever come together with the church in which you're a member, let's say you're the eye of that body. What good is the eye of the body if the body's never present? Right. Right. Oh, but I'm a member. You know, I go to church three times a year, but, you know, I'm a member. Nah, that doesn't cut it either. We need to be careful that we don't fall into two ditches. Let's be the kind of members that show up all the time and serve the Lord in His local church. Amen.